This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. I'm Jason Chaffetz. I'm Katie Pavlich. I'm Steve Ducey. And this is the Fox News Rundown. Tuesday, March 1st, 2022. I'm Lisa Brady. President Biden gives his first State of the Union address tonight, but it's being overshadowed by the state of Ukraine which might be a good time to appeal for unity at home. Lay out a bipartisan agenda, put aside the Build Back Better and all the radical uh, spending, and announce an agenda that can have the support of both Republicans and Democrats. I'm Dave Anthony. Democrats think the president has a chance to shine in tonight's State of the Union address, leading the global response to a foreign crisis. What I am encouraged by is that the president has not allowed the weak poll numbers uh, to distract him or dissuade him from being strong as it relates to how he's built uh, built this strong coalition with regard to Ukraine. And I'm Dr. Rebecca Grant. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. The backdrop for President Biden's first State of the Union address is probably a lot different than the White House was expecting after Russia invaded Ukraine last week. We are suffering and civilians are suffering from the airstrikes of Russian aircraft. Alexei Goncharenko, a member of Ukraine's parliament, appealing for a no-fly zone. But the White House says that would risk open conflict with Russia. So the international response remains largely focused on financial sanctions, while hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians flee to neighboring countries, others remaining in bomb shelters or fighting Russian forces. Max Nefotov is a city council member in the capital, Kyiv. For many Ukrainians, I think these days, just mental pressure from these constant air raids and just from shock. He says normal life is gone. That may make it harder for President Biden to tell progress toward a more normal life in the U.S. Days after the CDC updated its masking guidance and with no capacity limit, all members of Congress invited to attend. We would start working on the State of the Union address before Christmas and we'd have a draft done in early January. And so, of course, nothing that's happened in Ukraine was relevant to those early drafts. So I'm sure they've been reworking it. Mark Thiessen is a former White House speechwriter and Fox News contributor. But he's got a bigger problem, which is that normally in a State of the Union address, the basic structure is the president touts his achievements from the past year and then lays out a plan to build on them. And Americans think the last year has been an absolute disaster. I mean, Joe Biden has headwinds going in that are unprecedented for any president in modern times. He literally is under the water in public approval on every single issue from COVID to Afghanistan to inflation to the economy to what's happening in Ukraine. Fifty percent of Americans, according to one poll, believe that Biden's responsible for Russia's invasion. Fifty six percent, he say he's a weak leader. 56% of respondents to an NPR PBS poll say his first year has been a failure. 36% call it a major failure. So that model of a presidential State of the Union address doesn't necessarily work for him. So he's got to come up with another model tonight. Well, assuming that he's got to come out of the gate, at least talking about Ukraine before he tries to pivot to any domestic issues, obviously the world's going to be watching. What message 
does President Biden need to make clear? Well, I think he needs to generally pivot towards uniting the country, both at home and abroad. And so abroad, his great opportunity is to unite the country behind the cause of the Ukrainian people. I mean, we've all been amazed watching the courage of the Ukrainians who have stood up to the Russian bear and held it off for so long. We've been amazed by watching President Zelensky, who President Biden offered to evacuate him. And he said, I don't need a ride. I need ammo. <laughs> and, you know, the courage of the Ukrainians has been remarkable. And so we need to see from President Biden a truly decisive statement of American support for the people of Ukraine and rally this country around the people of Ukraine. The one thing that he hasn't said, he's been so reluctant on all the different sanctions he's imposed. He's been sort of dragged into it by the Europeans, he's been dragged into everything. One thing he hasn't said is this aggression will not stand, that we will stand with the Ukrainian people until every Russian troop has been driven out of its territory. He needs to make a decisive declaration like that. He said, it doesn't mean we're going to war, but we're going to provide them with arms. We're going to supply them with intelligence. We're going to provide them with training. We're going to provide them with support. And whether or not Kiev falls, we will continue to support them until they regain their sovereignty and territorial integrity. Americans want to rally around their commander in chief in a time of crisis. And Americans are very, very behind the people of Ukraine right now. So that would be a smart move for him to do both politically and also morally. Well, from that standpoint, I mean, how much time should he spend then at all on domestic issues? Well, he can't ignore them because then he would be accused of ducking the problems we have at home. Um, But I think what he ought to say is, while freedom's under threat abroad, we need to unite here at home. Um, And the problem we have is, is that most Americans, the majority of Americans against polls show, think that he's been more divisive than uniting, that he's done more to divide the country than unite the country. And they're right. Um, The worst thing that ever happened to Joe Biden was winning those two Senate seats in Georgia because it gave him delusions of grandeur that he could be a transformational president like FDR. And Americans didn't vote for him to be a transformational president like FDR. If they wanted him to be that, then they would have given him FDR-like majorities. Instead, they gave him a 50-50 Senate and a razor-thin majority in the House. That's a mandate for compromise, not for socialism. He's almost certain to lose the House, and he may also lose the Senate. And that means there's no more... Democrat-only reconciliation bills left. You're not going to be able to pass your agenda. Anything you pass through Congress is going to have to have Republican votes if you wanted to get it through. And so why not make virtue out of necessity? Why not make it seem like a choice as opposed to something that's been forced on you by the voters? Why not do it now? Lay out a bipartisan agenda, put aside the Build Back Better and all the radical uh, spending, and announce an agenda that can have the support of both Republicans and Democrats. Well, the president's likely to list what he considers to be accomplishments. Um, And, you know, while Republicans tend to see his record on every issue as a failure, um, could that backfire for Republicans, you know, protesting on every issue so much what he's done that it could end up sounding just like opposition for the sake of it? Well, the problem isn't that Republicans think his agenda is a failure. It's that the American people think that his agenda failure. So new Fox News poll that came out just last week, uh, and this is consistent with Gallup and other polls, 51% disapprove of his handling of COVID-19, 58% disapprove of his handling of foreign policy, 59% disapprove of his handling of crime, 61% disapprove of his handling of the economy, 62% disapprove of his handling of immigration, 56% say that he has not been tough enough on Russia, and 54% say they're not confident of his judgment in a crisis. 
that's not Republicans saying that. That's the, that is a those are bipartisan majorities of the American people. He has his approval on all those issues is minuscule. So there's not there there are very few Americans who think that he's been successful. And here's the problem: is that the the instinct is obviously to go out and tell the American he obviously doesn't just, he obviously doesn't agree with their judgment. Right. Uh, He thinks that he's done a lot of good things. If you go out and your message is actually you're wrong. (laughs) I've done a great job this first year and here's all the things I've done. Then you risk having people tune you out, because one of the things I learned as a presidential speechwriter is that when the rhetoric of the president isn't consistent with the lived experience of the American people or isn't in in a foreign policy crisis consistent with what they're seeing on their television screens and hearing in their newsfeed every day, then they tune you out and they don't listen to you and it doesn't move numbers. So even if he wants to tout his successes, if Americans don't believe that he's been successful on all these things, they think he's headed in the wrong direction, they want a different direction, then rather than telling them they're wrong, which they will not agree with, he's got to provide them, show them that he's hearing them and provide a different path. And you obviously don't acknowledge and say, well, I've been a failure my first year. No president's going to say that. But you lay out a different path. Lay out for us how you're going to do it. That will resonate with Americans and may help him recover slightly. But just telling Americans, sorry, I know you think I'm terrible, but you're wrong and here's why, is not going to be successful. How important is a State of the Union address? I mean, can it reset a presidency? 100% it can. And the reason is is because it is the one and only time of the year when the president gets the undivided attention of tens of millions of Americans. More people tune into the State of the Union address than any other presidential address, short of the president speaking to the nation after the 9-11 attacks or something of that magnitude. Once a year, Americans stop what they're doing by the tens of millions and tune in and listen to the president of the United States unfiltered by the media. He doesn't go through the Fox News filter. He doesn't go through the MSNBC filter. He doesn't go through the CNN filter. He goes straight to the American people and can deliver a message. And they're listening to him without any pundits backending his sound bites. They're hearing him directly. And so it's a huge opportunity. And if he does it the wrong way and approaches it in the wrong way, he blows that opportunity and he doesn't get another one until the following year. What do you hope to hear in the GOP response from Iowa Governor Kim Reynolds? Do you think she's a, a good choice? It's, I mean, historically, for either party, the person who gives the response has a pretty tough job. Yeah, I've always believed that the Republicans should just hand back the State of the Union response and decline to take it. It's the, There's no way to compete with the pomp and circumstance of a State of the Union address with the president standing in the rostrum of the House of Representatives. For the governor of Iowa, uh, she's a terrific rising star in the Republican Party. It's a chance to introduce herself to the American people, so I understand why she's taking the opportunity. But the key is try to present yourself as like presenting a counter State of the Union. You're you're delivering a, an address to the American people from the Republican standpoint and Uh, I hope that she also expresses solidarity with the people of Ukraine. Is there anything this president could say that would win you or Republicans in general or perhaps dissatisfied Americans over on any issue? Can you see that happening? Yes, I can. I could see if he delivers a strong message of resolve on Ukraine, I could see him 
winning me over on that issue because, again, the instinct of most Americans is to rally around the president at a time of crisis. Most presidents, when there's an international crisis, see their approval rating go up because the instinct of Americans is to rally around the president. And I think people want to see him project strength on the world stage. And so if he delivers a message of strength and asks us to support the people of Ukraine in their fight against tyranny and subjugation by the, by the Putin regime, I think a lot of Republicans will rally around that and support him on that issue. Um, the big problem he has is that to some extent, if we're going to take tough anxious, for example, he has refused to sanction their oil and natural gas, uh, which are their two biggest exports. It's 60 percent of Russia's exports to the world are oil and natural gas. And he hasn't sanctioned them. Why? Because he doesn't want to raise gas prices on Americans going up into the into, into the midterm elections. And part of the problem is, is that he, his war on fossil fuels and his this massive COVID, you know, this social spending bill disguised as COVID relief unleashed such inflation that there's no room for Americans in their budgets to absorb any costs for a war in Ukraine. Like if gas was two dollars a gallon and it was going to go up to two seventy five, then it's, Americans would say, OK, that's a price I'm willing to pay to stand with those brave Ukrainians I see on my TV screen. But if gas is at almost four dollars a gallon right now and, and it could go up to, you know, five or six dollars, that's a weakness tax. You know, this president failed to deter Vladimir Putin because of his weakness in Afghanistan, because the weakness of his of his agenda on the world stage. People don't want to pay for weakness. They're willing to stand for strength. Certainly no shortage of things to think about in terms of issues. Mark Thiessen, former White House speechwriter and Fox News contributor. Thanks very much for your time. Thanks for having me. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. This is Dr. Rebecca Grant with your Fox News commentary coming up. President Biden's got work to do, changing a lot of Americans' minds about the job he's doing with low approval ratings and polls leading into tonight's State of the Union address on issues from the economy to COVID. White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki says he's been working for weeks with his COVID team on this. And this work is broader than one piece of guidance. How we look at it is we're preparing to stay ahead of the virus, protecting our most vulnerable, keeping our country open. And Democrats believe the president is looking strong now, working with our allies, punishing Russia for invading Ukraine. I think the, the positive thing for the country, and if you think about for the president, is that you know, it, it appears that much a lot of our intelligence early on was was more right than wrong uh, about Ukraine. Former Democratic Congressman Harold Ford Jr. is a Fox News contributor. There were there were those in uh, largely in, many in Washington, a lot of Washington voices that expressed skepticism about whether we should have imposed sanctions earlier, uh, whether we should have done some of the things that uh, NATO allies and us are doing now. Look, I, I think we can speculate on a lot of things. I don't like dealing in hypotheticals when you when you're in the middle of a, a war or you're in the middle of war. I should say you're on war footing. Uh, I think the president deserves a lot of credit. I've been one that has called balls and strikes. I think tried to at least fairly good and bad for this administration on everything from the border uh, to crime uh, to inflation uh, and now to this. And I think it's very hard unless you unless you're being naive or just hyper partisan. 
not to give them uh, a lot of credit in how they've, to your point, held together the coalition, acted in concert, which I think has made us stronger, not only in how we're confronting Putin, but I think even the, the message that is resonating in Asia, largely in China, about how America will stand firm and the world will stand firm if, if Xi decides to, to uh, try and invade Taiwan. It would be a tough balance, though, wouldn't it, for him? I mean, he's got to address what's happening in Ukraine, and we would expect him to do that for a, a good amount of time. But he's going to want to also talk about a lot of domestic policy as well. So how do you do that? How, how long do you think he should spend dealing with what's going on overseas before he goes into details here? Like, I think they'll, they'll balance it out. I think the president will tout the infrastructure bill. He'll t- tout the China competition bill. Uh, that passed on bipartisan, a bipartisan basis, just like, like the infrastructure bill did. Uh, he'll tout the success that the country has made over the last two years in fighting COVID. I think he will, if he's, if he's smart, and I, I know he is, they'll give credit where credit is due to the former administration and, uh, and Operation Warp Speed and helping to ensure that we got safe vaccines uh, uh, that would be available to every American and even safe boosters. And it now Perhaps the great break that we're making is the the the, the antivirals that are being uh, uh, that that are being developed and will likely be rushed to market sooner rather than later. We still have a ways to go in helping the world to be vaccinated, which I think a lot of ways will help us deal with inflation and the economy. And I think he has to talk about where where strides need to be made more, which is obviously on the, on the border. And we've got strides to make as it relates to to inflation. But I think the more we're able to to overcome and surmount COVID. Uh, the likelier it is that we'll see some of these inflationary pressures on on goods coming down because supply chains will be unclogged. More Americans will get back to work. And at some level, you know, prices will go up a little bit because prices came down so much uh, the first year of COVID that they'll normalize somewhat. But there's no doubt everyday Americans paying more from everything from bacon uh, to a gallon of gas uh, is a problem. And uh, the president should 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 man up and, and confront those things, honestly. I want to get to the economy more in in a minute. I I want to go back to COVID, though. In July, you know, he made a big deal declaring independence from the virus. Numbers were low. Everything looked great. Suddenly, we got the Delta variant, and then we had the COVID Omicron variant, and then we were, you know, record number of cases, and then falling off the cliff, a lot of states said, forget this mask mandate stuff, and then then the Biden administration sort of was dragged along by states to to go along with that. What what do you think his tone will be dealing with COVID? Well, I don't think he was dragged along by the states. I mean, I think that... Well, they led the way, didn't they, Congressman? Well, so let let me just finish the answer. I think that that, um, there's no doubt he wanted, like all of us, no one wants to wear masks. No one is hoping to have their lives interrupted and their kids' education interfered with education process interfered with but I, I think they put they placed a priority on on uh, on being cautious and abundantly cautious and I don't fault them for that and people that do bless their hearts they have every right to and I'm glad the president uh, was 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 a little pushy uh, and perhaps has been a little slow to say let's let's stop wearing masks and some of the other things but look governors and mayors I've always believed they're much closer to their constituents they're much closer to everyday working people and small businesses and main streets and they're in their respective states and cities. And if they're seeing the numbers uh, come down and their hospitals and their emergency rooms have been alleviated uh, of pressure, then I think you defer to them. And I think that's what this president, whether he wants to or not, is having to do. When it comes to inflation, we're at a 40-year high on that. The new ABC poll that you saw that came out the other day 
61% of independents disapprove of the job he's doing, and almost 60% of them don't believe he has the mental sharpness to do the job. So he has some work to do, doesn't he? Not just Without question. Yeah, I mean, it's not just Republicans who are saying that. these are people who, who might have been Biden voters. Uh, I think during a time of uh, during a time of turmoil and controversy and consternation, which we're faced with in the country in many ways, uh, you have to project competency and strength even more. And that that will that will fall to this president to do. It'll be interesting to see in the next several next several days and perhaps a few weeks, some of the polling data and how the president's uh, handling of, of, of Ukraine uh, might might impact those numbers positively or negatively. I can't imagine they would affect them negatively, but we shall see. What I am encouraged by is that the president has not allowed the the weak poll numbers uh, to distract him or dissuade him from being strong as it relates to how he's built, uh, built this strong coalition with regard to Ukraine. Uh, the president's first and foremost job is commander in chief of the nation. And I think he deserves a high grade there. And on the other other topics, David, I would agree with you. He he's the White House is going to have to project more competency and strength on inf- inflation, the economy, and I would argue the border uh, and even crime, uh, because those are issues that uh, everyday Americans, whether they live on one coast or the other or the middle of the country, in the South, the Northwest, th- these issues are impacting them in a very serious and meaningful way. The border and the crime. There's more emphasis on that in, say, watching Fox News than you might on uh, other networks, right? So it's it's an issue that the right has been hammering him on. Do you expect even the border to come up tonight? Well, it should, uh, and so should crime. I live in New York. I think that probably the most important and dynamic voice in the party right now is the mayor of New York, uh, Eric Adams, uh, who has made clear we're not going to defund the police. In fact, he's leading the effort to 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 lift the mask mandates in our in our city with schools and schools and in businesses. Uh, He's made clear we have to be business friendly, pro-business if we're going to attract new opportunities and new investments here in New York. So in many ways, I think that's the message that that I I align with. And frankly, the message that that resonates with me most as a Democrat, uh, as a pro, as a as a as a as a as a a pro-market Democrat, as a new Democrat or a blue dog Democrat, the way I was called in Congress. But I don't think you can focus too much on crime if crime is an issue. And it is an issue in a lot of communities across the country. Now, when it comes to the president a year ago, he said he was going to help unify a divided country. You still have a very divided Congress. You had the president who was very strong in his criticism of Republicans on voting reform. They didn't like the way he was uh, calling them and they thought it racist. So how does he continue to try to do what he said he would do with unity? Because it doesn't seem to be there. A lot of Republicans don't think there's unity. Well, I think both sides have to be willing to come to the table. And I think Republicans, I I think it's easy when you're out of power to be critical of the party in power. That's a a 250-year tradition almost in the country. Uh, And it, it seems to be going strong now. Uh, you know, it's it's it, it, if you think about before 9-11, uh, the country was a very different place. Uh, I was in Congress at the time and we were fairly divided. Uh, 9-11 brought the country together and I, I think united the country in many ways behind President Bush to do some of the things he was will eventually do with the economy and for that matter, even education reform. So it's it's moments like this that, that bring a country together. Um, and, you know, I think the president is striving hard. I think he's faced some resistance and obstacles, not only from Republicans, but even within his own party, uh, from some of the uh, some of the more progressive, the more progressive wing of the party, which I find myself at odds with at times because I think they are 
at times unrealistic about the things we can do. And I, I think with his build back better plan, the only chance that it passes is that is if you sit down with Joe Manchin, figure out what he's able to support, what Kristen Sinema is able to support. And you, you try to advance that. If you, if, if, if you can't advance that version of it, it's probably not going to get, probably not going to get addressed. I've said for a while, I think they need a, a supply chain or an, or an inflation task force. It's giving us updates every two or three days on the prices of things that Americans value the most and Americans use the most and the steps we're taking to try to reduce that. And for that matter, giving Americans a sense of the steps we can take to help reduce some of these prices as well. Uh, this speech tonight is going to be a critical one for him. And we shall see if he's able to uh, how he's able to perform. Well, it's a primetime audience. The president always gets a chance. It's a primetime audience. And with the Ukraine situation, I mean, this is a chance for him to, to try to reset with some voters right in the end. Without question. And it, it won't be the first time. It won't be the first time that a president has tried to reset things. And you know, I would remind people, you know, President President Reagan. Presidents Bush and Presidents Reagan, Bush, Clinton and Obama were all in their high 30s and early and low 40s uh, at some point in their first term for, you know, Obama had Obamacare. Uh, uh, You know, Reagan had some challenges in the economy. Uh, uh, W had some 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 challenges in the economy as well, but they they hunkered down and were able to get reelected. So, you know, it's not out of the realm. But to your point, I don't make light of this by suggesting that history suggests that it can happen. I only, I'm only suggesting that it can happen if if the president understands where he is uh, and is able to speak directly to the country uh, and is able to, to bring about some changes, positive changes in people's lives. And I don't put it beyond this president to be able to do that. Will you be part of the coverage tonight on Fox News, Congressman? I, I will. I'm excited to be with Brett and Martha this evening. Uh as they lead the coverage along with and Dana Perino and uh, Britt Hume and, and Ben Dominich and myself will all be on. And uh, again, I'm sure it'll be fair and balanced. Uh, and we will, we'll have an opportunity to hear the president tonight, uh, give, give, give a speech to the audience, give a speech to Americans who are worried about our, our the world, uh, world security and the world uh, uh, as it sits today and is and are worried about their own kitchen table issues and pocketbook and wallet issues. So this will be in, in purse issues. This will be an interesting night, as they always are. And uh, you should join us tonight because I'm sure we will be robust, interesting, and uh, uh, we will be fair and balanced. Look forward to it. Congress, former Congressman Harold Ford, Jr., Fox News contributor, Democrat from Tennessee, now in New York City. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Stay on top of the latest news and information from Fox News. Listen and download the Fox News Hourly Update on your time. The trending stories you need anytime you want it. Listen and download now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Rate and review the Fox News Rundown on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Dr. Rebecca Grant. What's on your mind? Russia's attack on Ukraine is the first major military confrontation of the social media age. The gut reactions brought to you on social media are a whole new factor impacting the war strategy of both Ukraine and Russia. Hint, Ukraine's doing much better. While armies have used information warfare for ages, the world has never seen this many videos and pictures of a war zone up close and coming at you so fast from so many different users. It's unprecedented. Granted, it's hard to form an overall assessment of the campaign from the thousands of battle clips or to verify or digest them all. 
But the videos of destroyed equipment tell a tale. You see Ukraine fighting back. You see that Russia's attack is not moving as fast as Putin hoped. When the Pentagon says Ukraine's resistance is greater than the Russians expected, those social media images make you feel that's true. But there's much, much more to the social media story. You've got posts from three groups, the Russian invaders, Ukraine's defenders, and the bystanders. They're the biggest group, with an amorphous collection of war images called from TikTok and other uploads, then curated to Twitter and other sites where journalists and analysts take note. Let's not be naive. Obviously, the bystander posts include a mix of items from people wrapped up in the war and from propagandists from both sides. But here's what's amazing. The effect is powerful for Ukraine, not Russia. Smoke, fire, destruction, tearful soldiers, and suffering fuel the world's outrage at Putin. Social media gives the advantage to Ukraine, and rightly so. Putin's been in power for 20 years, way before the iPhone era. Maybe no one told the 69-year-old autocrat that world events now get real on Instagram. Did he not realize the world would resent seeing Russian forces kill and destroy for no reason? The strategic value of social media is real. Of course, Twitter won't stop tanks. Social media can't protect Ukraine and its people against Russian firepower. But if Ukraine holds out, historians may soon say social media helped by the time and support needed to deny Putin the win. I'm Rebecca Grant for Fox News. You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. I'm Guy Benson. Join me weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and guests. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the free podcast at GuyBensonShow.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.